Hello. Hey, everybody. I love y'all. It's a nice way to start. We're here. This episode definitely will, will have you feeling the love. This is Ergo. It is indeed. I'm Kiss. I am Damon. And wow, have we got a special one for you today. Vivian Sansor is here. Vivian is the founder of the Palestine Heirloom Seed Library. She's a art maker, a documentarian, an anthropologist. Amazing individual. Of course, yeah. Someone who neither of us had met before, but over the course of the time that we spent together, I feel so connected and close and like I learned so much. It, it, it started in the first couple seconds of her walking in the building. Like, oh, she's, she's phenomenal. Did we just become best friends? <laughs> yeah, we did. So I want to thank her for coming through, and I'm really excited for you to hear this conversation. I also want to give a shout out to my respective boo, ah. Rosie, who is the reason that this conversation happened. She showed me the work of the Palestine Heirloom Seed Library and recommended that we get Vivian on. So shout out to Rosie for making that happen. Before we get to the conversation, any announcements? Anything you got? Yes. What do you got? Uh, September 2nd, Labor Day, uh, Let Us Breathe, Free Day, Community Activation Day. Um, Come join in. Come continue the celebration of five years of existence as an organization and be a part of helping us build more relationships in our neighborhood and community, do some fun workshops, you know. Probably will be giving away some some food, going through the neighborhood, going through the blocks, doing some things on the land. People will perform. Art will be made. I am being vague because at the time we recorded this. <laughs> you don't have anyone a booked. Lot, a lot of it is not booked. But it's definitely happening. It is going to be fun. Come on out. September 2nd. Breathing Room, 1434 West 51st Street. And speaking of workshops, uh, if you want to bring Ergo to your campus or your organization or company or group, we will come and facilitate a workshop on media dialogue, radical imagination, help you all figure out how to communicate with each other, accounting for power, and start reimagining the spaces that you call home. So you can book us. The info is on our website, ergoradio.com slash booking. Uh, we have our new Speakers Bureau through Allied Media Projects. The info is also available on their website. Bring us to your campus and uh, cut the check. Cut the check. Without further ado, let's get the to... amazing, the phenomenal. Oh, my God. This is a, really a moving and meaningful one in the work that we do and a good way to start our set of 200 to 300 episode run. Yeah, here we go. I am gleeful. <sighs> there goes the adjective for the Wow. Day. <laughs> your adjective to the day has been brought to you by Damon. Let's get to our conversation with the one and only Vivian Sensor. We promise this will be a unique conversation. I am now confident. Wow, that's a big promise. We're 200 in. This is the first that's time I made that promise. There you go. Yeah, that's perfect. We are very excited to be in the studio with a, a very special guest. Yeah. I'm excited that we, we, yeah. we got to be face-to-face and talking, and now we get to get to it. I may be giddy. I wanted another adjective, but I'm going to go with giddy to start with this giddy? off. Cool. Giddy. Giddy. Oh, one thing that I did not ask before that I always want to make sure. Are we I on air? To. We are technically. Right. We're recording. recording, but it's, um, it's editable. What is the correct pronunciation of your names so that I, we get it right on the air? Let's see what you got. <laughs> All right. I'm willing to take a shot. Uh, Vivienne Sansor. Bravo. Wow. Bra, 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 bra. She's here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is a, a good uh, opportunity to ask our every once in a while follow-up mm-hmm, question. Mm-hmm, Do you think this is a good mm-hmm, moment? Mm-hmm. If you could have any animal noise be your like entrance music, what animal would you choose? Hmm. I love the whale. Oh. Ooh. 
Ooh. Whale sounds. Okay. Ooh. All right. I'm with you on this. I was getting ready to like t- try, but I don't know if I got That's, a whale. You got to leave that to the whales. Why the whales? I love that they are so gigantic and they move in this like, they're vast and mm. yet they move so quietly into mm. the ocean. Do they move quietly? I think they look like serene. <laughs> it's tough to be loud in the ocean, I think. Cause it, like, oh, I think there are loud creatures mm, in the ocean. Mm. Do you think it's more intentional? No- like, I feel like an animal making noise in the ocean is trying to make noise. Oh, yeah. Whereas I feel like when I'm walking, I'm like, oh, these footsteps again. <laughs> <laughs> just not as graceful. Can I? They're more aware. I know we just started. Can I derail for one moment? Mm-hmm. I recently did a, uh, a sound bath meditation. The which heck you, is that? So they have all these. <laughs> it's crazy. But there's a reason I'm bringing it up. Um, so basically what it is is understanding that different um, like resonances impact our body in different ways. Mm-hmm. So they have a bunch of different singing bowls. There's like mm-hmm. Chinese and Tibetan singing bowls. And there's someone who knows how to play them in a way that uh, basically impacts your body in different ways. So you lay down, they play these bowls, and you're kind of like, Transported is kind of a basic way to say it, but it's it's a transformative experience, basically, like a meditation type thing. Coupled with the bowls, they played whale sounds, which was pretty, pretty wild. They did play whale they sounds, had so you should sa- you should give it a shot. Absolutely. You've oh, had could the experience. I do it? Mm. Really? That's kind of what a whale sound sounds like. Really? That was pretty good. It, That's not as bad as it, I thought it was going to be. That was better than I expected. <laughs> it, ring, it rings a little bit more dolphin <laughs> mm-hmm. than whale, but... <laughs> That's okay, my dolphin. That, that was dolphin. Wow. Yeah. You didn't know what you were getting yourself yeah, yeah, into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. How, how did you get into... Well, <laughs> I, actually, I was debating between asking you to make a whale sound mm-hmm. because I feel whaleish sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I had this magical experience recently with an animal that doesn't make much sound, actually. Mm. I was driving in the middle of the forest while we were building the show I'm installing at the Chicago Cultural Center Mm -hmm. from uh, wood that fell uh, in the 2015 uh, storm that happened in northern Michigan. Mm -hmm. And so we were in the northern Michigan forest in the middle of the night uh, on this dirt road. And all of a sudden, this gigantic creature stops And I'm like, what is this? I've never seen that. What is that? And it's a white, snowy owl. Mm. And I hear that it is a very rare, like, sighting to see Mm. one. But she didn't move. And she just stood there and then turned her head Mm -hmm. for like a minute. She, yeah, she was checking me. Uh, I don't think she could see me because the light of the car was in her yeah. face. Maybe she, I don't know, but it was so magical. And then after one minute of like this eye-to-eye situation, she just flew away and sat on a branch of a tree. But I think she, she didn't make any noise while yeah. she was flying. And then my friend was showing me a YouTube video that they discovered that when owls fly, they actually hardly make any noise. Wow. You cannot hear their uh, wings. Mm. Oh. So anyway, That's I have beautiful. been sitting with that because it was such a powerful like encounter. Yeah. It's so a, I wanted yeah. to tell you, make an yeah. owl sound, but then I thought that might not be. I would just make really, really intense eye contact for a full minute in <laughs> silence, which doesn't I mean, work on a podcast. They, yeah, don't, they, yeah, don't, they don't hoot? Do I Do I? F- I don't know. I know nothing I know tr- about owls. In popular culture, an owl will hoot. Uh, 
But I don't oh. know if in real life an owl will hoot. And then the someone streets. was telling me that this is a um, that it's very rare to see one, mm-hmm. uh, but also that it's uh, a character in the Harry Potter, which mm-hmm. is something I've never watched. Ah, uh, um, you've oh, remained separate from that whole. That whole I don't phenomenon. know what it, yeah. I know. It's this sorcerer, magician, yeah, yeah. whatever. And I like magic, but I just uh, never been into that kind of. Yeah, Here, here's what I've. That's actually you've helped me. Def- Distinguish something within myself. I don't like white magic. <laughs> I used to think I didn't like magic, but I've learned that I, I'm, I'm down well, to you that. Know what? Magic. It's I white just, magic You that just helped me tap into something into myself. I know it just feels a little bit forced, <laughs> yeah, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because oh, I'm all so about seeing like uh, brujas and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. love... It's just not as compelling. No, no. There's something. There's something dangerous about some white. It's magic. like pour over coffee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, Trying too hard. Just freaking give just me some me coffee. <laughs> like an Englishman with a wand. Yeah, like, that's yeah, not yeah, good yeah, for yeah, anybody. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> Although the English, the, for some reason, the English are really into this stuff. It's more like this uh, sorcery, but connection to some kind of other mm. realm. They they have they have ghost stuff they mm. really like. I would imagine it's because Americans always cast English people <laughs> to be in their white magic. Well, I think it's also <laughs> Oh, maybe. But they have these old creepy houses yeah. and oh, yeah, the yeah, weather yeah, is yeah, so yeah. rainy. There's some energy. In and they also island. have like old myth, like pre-Christian myth that still lives they in do. Stonehenge and all that. Like that's part of what's so crazy here is that what like we traditionally or contemporarily call folklore was like stories written a hundred years ago. It's like, that's not folklore. That's a story written a hundred yeah, years ago that we told a few t- Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but when you actually have, you know, everywhere has a, a story and has myth that was developed yeah. in that place. And there's just been such a divorce here, but I think that's part of it is like, they actually, it's not a divorce, my darling. Mm, it's a erasure or what, what would be the word that you would use? You know, uh, they were Europeans who had myth in their where they came from, right. and then they came somewhere new, and they had to create new myths right. or new stories. So it's uh, it's colonialism right, really. uh, combined with ding, 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 ding. trying to <laughs> to create uh, a new culture, which which actually, you know. I guess in the end, whether it, the story is a hundred years old or two days old, it's it's the beginning of a myth or something, a tradition that will become. There it is. Mm. And we always have the possibility, hopefully not from colonial history, but we always have the possibility in our lives to create a new story and a new myth And a new folklore, yeah. right? Yeah. That's why I don't trust the white magic, because there was something fishy behind it always. Hmm. It's like, hey, I, I, don't distract me with your story. What, you got, what y'all doing over here? It's <laughs> <laughs> funny. Also, I, I, I've had this stale whale anecdote in my pocket. <laughs> stale whale. <laughs> Whales have, like, their own language. Like, whales from different parts of the world can't communicate with each other. They have, like, dialects. Are you serious? Yeah. My sister wrote a play about whales. It's an allegory to black oppression through... Through the prison system. I just said whale. I honestly yeah. have no idea why whale they're is super, one of my favorite animals. They're mm. super significant in how they speak and how they talk. And so that's part of the torture of like the, the uh, Sea World stuff is that they are like capturing these whales from these their different pods. Mm-hmm. And now they struggle with each other because now they can't interact and communicate because they basically speak different Wow, tongues. is that for... I did not know that. Yeah. I just have this like guttural feeling about yeah. whales. I don't really why, know. If it. you want to get like... 
even more in your gut on it. I haven't seen it because I know it's too depressing, but since I saw the play based from some of the facts, I learned about it. Uh, Blackfish, I think, is a documentary about, like, the whales at SeaWorld. And it's some of, like, the worst animal captivity in the world. They really, like, describe what's, what's going on with the whale. I'm comfortable mm-hmm. identifying as a zoo abolitionist. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I yeah, hate yeah. zoos. Fuck the zoos. I hate the zoos. Zoo. All right. Let's, let's maybe let's do talk it. about Let's get you. tradition. No, we, yeah, we, we're, let's we're going start too where fast. We start. And so we, we like to start with this question. It's two parts. In this time, and define time however you want, this day, this hour, this season, this year, this lifetime, how is the world treating you, and how are you treating the world? Since you're real in there. <laughs> Whoa! Or, uh, or what's going on right now? No, 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 no. I, I want to see where on. we. You're, you're somewhere. You just went somewhere. I, I, I want to go. I haven't been asked this question before. T- I promised. <laughs> Sorry, I, I usually no, have you're... something to quickly. We have, we have I'm time. digesting. Have Good. Yeah, yeah. Great. Take your time. Wow, that's such a beautiful question. Uh-huh. It's a very loving question, too. <laughs> so I appreciate it. You know, a lot of times, you know, we say, how are you? And it's like, you're not really waiting to yeah. hear the answer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you asked in a way that made me feel that you really are asking. I, I was thinking about this this morning. Mm. I feel like the world treats me so much better than I treat it. Mm. <laughs> Sometimes it's overwhelming, kind mm. of, your your blessings, and then you want to be able to honor that by also being that Mm -hmm. in your life and for other people and even for yourself. So right now I feel like I'm trying to learn how to be a blessing for myself. Mm -hmm. I find it very hard. Mm -hmm. I was reading something yesterday about like giving yourself permission not to be helpful. (laughs) I was like, "Whoa! What, that, this, I've never, what is this?" I just this had like a like a flight freeze response to you say that. I was like, "I gotta get out of here." <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was like, "Whoa!" I, I mean, I'm 41 years old, and I never contemplated this. <laughs> Not that I'm always so helpful, but mm. I always feel like it is my duty yeah. to be helpful. And I think maybe a combination of things happened walking in Chicago yesterday. Um, this woman stopped me and she's like, can you help me out? And she's probably like no. the hundredth <laughs> woman that yeah. have asked me no and I, I helped her out. Yeah. And then when she walked away, I had this sense that she was kind of dishonest about what she shared with me. Mm. And, uh, <laughs> and, you know, I always say it doesn't matter. I did it from my own mm-hmm. heart and that's fine but sometimes I'm like nah. I started to think about it you know what does it mean to engage in quote unquote helping when there's a lack of integrity in the yeah. in the exchange mm-hmm. but the main question that I'm really delving into these days is the question of trust mm-hmm. um, since I work a lot with plants I feel like to really grow grow plants and to to put seed in the ground you really gotta have a lot of trust because mm-hmm. it's really putting something there and not knowing if it's gonna come out we're actually knowing it's gonna come out but um and trusting that it's none of your business <laughs> uh, it's like a lot of people That's ask great. me oh uh i want my work to be meaningful do you have advice for me and i always say it's none of your business like i right. didn't i didn't set off to do my work oh i want my work to be meaningful mm-hmm. 
we be who we be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we be who we are, and that's the most uh, meaningful thing, right? Mm-hmm. But I think that I, I have places inside that still require a lot of learning mm-hmm. in terms of trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I'm a little frustrated with myself. But I also want to trust that in the right time, I'll, I'll get there. Mm. But yeah. I have many reasons to trust. I just, uh, uh, I'm not treating the world mm. as good as it deserves. Mm. And it's so hard to like take in, or it can be so hard to take in the evidence that you can trust, whether it's a person or a process or a plant mm. or any of that, because the evidence that something can't be trusted sticks in your mind because it hurts so much more when your trust is betrayed, that then even if there is all the evidence in the world that says, step yeah. into this in, in good faith and hand, put your hands out and you'll be received, it's so much harder to you know be like, well, in this other instance, I was hurt in that case. And this can be personal relationships, it yeah, can be professional, yeah, yeah. all those things. Are there any reminders you found for yourself to be like, hey... Let me give this a shot, even though there are all these, you know, voices on the shoulder saying it's not it's not going to go well. I try to remind myself that my rational mind betrays me all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And to be reminded that my heart is really powerful. Mm. And when I dare to really listen just like you asked me a question today with the intention to listen, I don't even need reminders. I, I, I stand in knowing. Yeah. But oftentimes it's, it's my rational mind that betrays me and presents to me all kinds of reasons why I should be afraid of one or two or three. But I resent the idea of being afraid, even though I have a <laughs> lot of fears. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I try to constantly challenge those and even though I'm still afraid to do it anyway yeah. sometimes it works <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just going to ask how you're doing with, with your rational brain I thank you that's something I want to say and then I want to go deeper in trust y'all, are y'all cool with that I wanna, I'm cool let's right. do it. rational brain I'm alright but uh, <laughs> but I actually you know as I always am thinking about patriarchy and my, my responsibility and connection to it I think that is one of the like greatest non-physical harms of patriarchal systems and consciousness is this projection of this like artificial standard of of rationality Mm -hmm. and like how that's rooted into like our economy this assumption of rational actors and like every economic interaction people are doing for their best utility and that's how we're all supposed to work uh that's bullshit uh, and this idea of like we are computing perfect ratios in our brain right and then you know this masculine idea of like be logical be rational when yeah. it really is not that it is like an approximation of it i think is really like messes us up at humans and well it's arrogant see, yeah right it's arrogant yes, well, in what way exactly what, what do you is. i agree but what do you mean by that i mean i have that kind of machismo in me sometimes <laughs> which is like it's arrogance when i think that oh with my brilliant rational thinking mm-hmm. I'm going to really control the outcomes of a situation mm-hmm. or I'm going to fix a situation or I'm going to... Or you know to, what's best. Yeah, or as if like I have some control of the future somehow. Right. And the truth is we don't. And it's not popular to say that because people want to say, oh, well, it's very simple. Like you need to make reasonable financial decisions, for example. <laughs> and even with that, And I know a lot of people listening will probably think I'm nuts or maybe just 
uh, too comfortable, but I'm not too comfortable as much as there I have trust. Like I trust that I will always be provided for. <laughs> and maybe that comes also from the community I grew up in yeah. where even when we would have curfews, someone will leave bread <laughs> at, at, at the door, you know, in the middle of the night. We were lucky not to need it per se, but in curfews, everybody needed it, right? right. So somebody woke up at four in the morning, risked their lives and went house to house to, to share their mm. bread. And I feel like, Mm. How can I not trust when I've experienced that? And so yeah. that's very strong for me. Like I, I do trust that. But I'm also, of course, aware that not everybody has that um, right. experience in life. Um, I think there, there is a, there's one version of what you just said, which is like, I just think I'll always be fine and I don't have to think about it. But that's not what you said. What you said was, I trust that the people around me who I'm connected to, who were like invested in this, in this whole together, this community will will hold me in the ways that I need to survive. Yeah, and that doesn't mean that I love every single person right. <laughs> in my community or that they love me all right. the time. And that's something that I find, to be honest, like missing often in um, this modern conversation about an obsession with um, autonomy, like, oh, I'm independent. I don't hmm. need nobody. Or often, like, uh, for us women, there's a lot of conversation all the time about how you need to be independent, not need a man. It's not good to need a man. And uh, and I find it so limiting and uh, almost kind of frivolous hmm. because it just kind of... Uh, it's not about you need a man or you need a woman or you need whatever, a dog. Obviously, including people, I should probably not say these things. No, say these things. But I mean, even, okay, our human needs, obviously, there's this like, in, especially in urban context yeah. where people uh, need to have a pet. Yeah, we well, need something. Okay, because you actually need a human or, or some touch. You need right. to feel loved. Mm -hmm. And that's why you're willing to go pick up the shit of your dog <laughs> right. in the park right. because you want someone to wait for you when you come home from right. work mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this obsession with independence is also a bit um, bravado, like, oh, I don't need. Right. Well, no, that's not true, actually. Uh, <laughs> you can be autonomous, you can be strong, and from that place, you can also be someone who gives and receives. Right. Like, I am not so autonomous that hmm. I don't need, you know, sometimes someone to cry with or sometimes someone to have an ice cream with. It's not right. even like to the cry with. Emotion, you can, yeah. yeah, just simple things in life, right? And so I feel like I'm learning most recently about where my strength comes from because a lot of people on the outside think that I'm this really strong person hmm. and I guess I am strong in, in some ways but I also I'm vulnerable and I have fragility right, mm, right. obviously I'm as, human yeah, yeah. <laughs> as everybody and uh, I've had people that I could lean on without feeling judged or without feeling that that would take away from me or humiliate me. Quite the opposite. It, feel, it actually fuels me with more strength to know that they also can come to me when yeah. they need it. Uh, so I feel this is something that um, 
sometimes bothers me in the yeah. conversation, especially like when I'm in the U.S., for example. Yeah. And I love being in the U.S. and I, I, I love being here. Mm. And uh, I, I also feel like... I'm still not sold. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I feel at home in the U.S., uh, actually. Yeah, that's uh, and I lived here half my life, so right. I, I do feel very at home. And I also feel at home in Palestine and not at home in Palestine. It's right. always... Mm, yeah. mm. And actually, the question of home is something we can we talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put the pin um, in throw a pin in home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I basically what I say, like, I think in the U.S. we are more focused on the idea of independence. Yeah. Right. Maybe we, it we comes. We declared it. Yeah, I declare. But it is maybe a, a privilege, really. Yeah, absolutely. Because absolutely. if you live. And it's dehumanized. Yeah, and if you live in a community where you need each other, like right. we live under military occupation, I can't say I don't need my neighbor when the <laughs> right. army comes right. in. Like I do. Yeah. Right. In Palestine, there's no shame about needing each other. <laughs> there's shame about other things that yeah. we don't have here, which is nice. I like in the U.S. Like <laughs> there's a lot of shame around sex, for example, yeah. in mm-hmm. Palestine, and here. It's more exciting. Actually, we still have a lot yeah, of... Yeah, yeah. But we have a, a, whole, a type of shame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but all societies are mm-hmm. so full of shame-related things, yeah. right? Yeah. So, But sometimes it's nice to see the way, and it sounds like what you're saying, where just the, the relativism of it can be really useful to understand like how... When you're so immersed in one place all the time, mm-hmm. you're just like swimming in the, in the, in the pool of it. And to be able to take a step back and see the way things play out differently, you know, that's for all the country. That's like why I think travel is useful, and it's also just important to be able to, whether it's physically or just in your brain through talking about things, like zoom out a little bit, yeah. right, and yeah. see like this is not the way things are. This is the way things have been and the way they are here. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, that's yeah, that, that's real. We got to. Everybody needs movement. Right. Like in the sense of like the way we use it here, but like physical mobility to be able to have perspective. And I think one of the parts of your perspective that's really beautiful. Basically, what I'm hearing is like the language I use is interdependence, Mm -hmm. because I think there is a real like reason and fear of like being dependent on something external. And so we've like met it with this like false individual independence and i think something that like kind of resolves that tension is interdependence like we are all connected yeah i think and maybe mutually built on e- mm. on each other in some way <clears throat> i feel it feels like you're have some pushback to that language not pushback uh, but and you made me realize something oh, actually nice. thank you yeah, uh which is that maybe it's not that i don't like autonomy because I have strived all my life for it, mm, right? right? And mm-hmm. I, it's one of kind of my treasured mm. uh, achievements. <laughs> uh, but I think it's uh, when our autonomy is coming out of a place that is not loving right. to who we are. Uh-huh. So like your autonomy is coming out of hating yourself because you feel mm-hmm. or hating yourself because you have basic human need Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. so i think it's a fear of our vulnerability yeah so but i think if our autonomy comes from uh, a place where we recognize who we are and we're not throwing demands on Mm -hmm. the people around us and i think this is one of the hardest things for me as, as a social being is when people have demands i can't handle like um I mean, I can understand like in work situations when people have certain demands, but 
emotionally, like when you have demands, it's so strange. Like, how can you demand <laughs> an emotion? Uh, it, it's not. It's not on remote control. You right. know? Um, and I've That's been guilty of That's that. Deep. Like in 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 previous years, where yeah. I I found myself like you know, being with a partner, maybe demand. And then I think I've gone through a very painful journey of learning that this is really not something. Here's, here's something. You're telling me all the things that I needed to hear in an argument last night with my girlfriend. <laughs> this whole conversation has just been all the things that I needed to hear then. So here's thank something you. you're giving me that's been a, been a monkey ridge for me the last like two to three weeks that I want to hear. And particularly you, Miss, Mr. Kisslinger. As a, uh, somebody who has been known myself to be a deeply empathetic person um, in this idea of like demand and like external force or pressure shaping your like internal self, shaping your emotional well-being. It's made me question my empathy as unhealthy more and more of mm. is it healthy for how I am feeling <laughs> to be completely linked and subject to things that are outside of my control and other people's feelings, right? Like is it healthy? Well, well, can you speak in simpler terms? <laughs> Oh yes! Thank you for asking me to do that. <laughs> nice. I'm I'm getting too deep. No, is, no, it's it's the construction of the, of the sentence. sentence. Yeah, no, that's, that's a defense mechanism when I'm like talking about something. You're trying to lose me. Yeah, <laughs> I apologize. Be uh, real, man. You're Be like, real. Uh, you're Tell real. us from your heart. It's like we're in yes, a car behind you. you and you're like trying to lose us. Uh -huh, you're like, uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> Follow me. Yeah. Um, it feels unhealthy for my emotional state of being to be responsive to someone else's, even mm. though. I have heralded that as like being a good person, right? So to me, to be empathetic means it's more than sympathy. I don't feel for you. I feel with you. And so no matter where I'm at, some, you know, people I'm connected to being hurt, being sad, overreacting, being sensitive, having valid feelings, whether, you know, on the positive or negative spectrum. Now that is where I am. Like regardless, you mean you get drawn into there? Yeah, that's, or, or that's what empathy you, means. So you uh, are crying, and now I am sad, as opposed to I am holding my emotional place uh, to hold and support you, but I'm not feeling that because it's not uh, it's not my weight. I've trained myself, and also maybe naturally, just like take on other mm -hmm. people's emotional states, is an attempt uh, to be more human. But I have now like questioned: is that mm -hmm. unhealthy? I've actually, um, uh, I think I've. I've come to a very good place in that, in the sense that I can hold the space for someone in front of me crying or having crises and not feel... In crisis. In crisis, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And sometimes, uh, maybe in the past, it could have come across as cold, but I've actually learned how to just hold that space, actually, because what they need in that moment, it's like when you're in, in that mm -hmm. state, you mm -hmm. need someone strong. Yeah. You need right. someone to hold the space right. for you, not to kind of go down in the rabbit <laughs> hole with you. But I also feel like I learned it from people who have held the space for me. And I have been really blessed to have people who have done that for me. I had a partner uh, years ago who actually taught me that, but he was somebody who also hurt me the most. Or, mm. But because I was also younger and I couldn't understand what was happening, but it was the greatest lesson where I would be, for example, crying, and he would, he would just sit there. <laughs> I mean, what else can he do, right? right. Uh, but he was holding the space for me right. to cry and say, I'm not going anywhere, but you can go ahead and cry. I'm not crying with you. And I think hmm. uh, 
Whereas before, I used to think, oh, that's so cruel. Now mm, I'm like, right. oh, wow, that's amazing that he did that for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now I feel like I'm able to do that for other people. Yeah. And uh, receive it also in a loving way when mm. somebody does it for me. Where are you at with that DJ empathy? I think that's an important point, the like ability to, as both the giver of that space holding and the receiver, recognize that that's what's going on. That Because I think sometimes... And it's maybe like an ego-driven thing. Is like, I feel all this. I want you to feel it too so that I know I'm not alone in that feeling, right? Like that, if I'm crying, mm. you crying means that you are seeing me. Mm-hmm. But that, does, that only gets you so far, right? It doesn't, it doesn't help push kind of out of that. And it also is like not always what, um, I think as the giver, you think I have to be performing my care. Really what you need a lot of the time is to be the one, like you said, well, the there's space. a question you can ask yourself right. in that situation that, for me, it's helpful. And that doesn't mean that I'm so good at it all the time. <laughs> but I, um, when I am centered and able to do that. No, I actually ask myself this question a lot uh, these days when I'm feeling that uh, the other person is demanding that I um, basically feel or carry that pain in yeah. that way with them. I ask myself... Is this love? Hmm. And maybe this is not right because it has some judgment on my part. But if someone is demanding that I experience their pain, I start to feel that I'm not being loved by this person. (laughs) That might be abuse, actually. Yeah. uh, I mean, no, it's just... Potentially. I don't think people are usually aware of that, but they ask you like... You know, uh, my whatever phone broke and you're supposed to feel, which is like a very no, but, yeah. stupid example. <laughs> so have you seen people whose phone broke? They are well, deep they're, in, they're in usually, the morning. They're yeah. usually not people in my circles. But, uh, we all got cases about this, crew. This, this, is, this is the great thing about getting older. You just kind of like clean up your space. You know? if, if you demand that I tell you where I am and what time I'm coming back, you're out. If you demand that I really care that you broke your phone, you're out. I just don't, I can't. I, I just can't truly be honest and engage oh, you. So. Yeah. Um, so yeah, now I feel resentful. If someone demands that I feel the pain of something that I'm not feeling, then I have to ask, like, are you really loving me? Because when I love someone, I don't want them to feel this pain. Right. Like, um, yeah. I recently had a situation where I had, uh, let's say, a misunderstanding and an, a disagreement with someone. And we later talked about it. And then he said, you know, I just, uh, I don't want to feel guilty. And uh, you made me feel guilty about what I felt. And I was horrified because that is like, what I resent for someone to make me feel guilty. Like yeah. if someone tries to make me feel guilty or even if they don't try, but it comes across like this, I shut down. I'm not, mm. I, I can't handle being guilt tripped. Mm. Not that it doesn't, because it has worked so much so on me. Right. <laughs> uh, and also because it like takes away your joy and no matter how wrong or right you are, I don't think anyone deserves to be made feel guilty. Yeah for making a choice it's again like this is how you felt right. you know, mm-hmm. how, how can mm-hmm. I demand that but it helped me like 
recognize that, oh, I can do it too. Like, I hate when people do it to me, but apparently even when I'm not conscious, I can I can participate yeah. in that. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we have to constantly be asking ourselves, is what I'm doing or what I'm saying coming out of a place of love or am I just reacting? Yeah. And Sometimes we react. <laughs> and, some, and that happens both interpersonally, the way we've been telling you, but I think also in the work, that, that that's a good kind of guiding question because there's so much to constantly be reacting to uh yeah. and so yeah. that that becomes kind of um the layers just keep packing packing mm -hmm. down um so how do you think about your work as a projection or an expression of love mm. i like this question because it's really uh, we like when you compliment our question <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad you do um I'm glad you're glad. Oh, no. <laughs> oh gosh, no. I hope you edit all of that. Um, <laughs> Keep it together, dude. A little love fest over here. <laughs> uh, clearly, like, the, I'm moved by what happens around me, right? right. Like, mm -hmm. okay, I'm upset that we are building KFCs instead of uh, more gardens or whatever. But there was a moment in my life early on where it was a very conscious decision. It wasn't just random that I wanted to do what I do out of a place of being in love with something hmm. and not because I have to. Yeah. What was that moment, if you're comfortable sharing it? Um, it was really like way back and then frequently it got reinforced in life. But yeah. I think it started when I was in college, actually, in North Carolina. Okay. I don't re exactly remember what had happened that caused me to think that. But I remember thinking that I was at a crossroads hmm. where I had to decide if I wanted to live my life from a place of pride or from a place of love. And uh, I chose love. Pride tries to sneak in sometimes, yeah, yeah. right? So you have to, I, I feel like it doesn't have much chance anymore. But um, <laughs> I fall in love, yeah. And I have been in love with the world. I, I'm in mm. love with the planet. I'm in love even with the painful moments and recognize them as transformative moments. Yeah. And um, even death, for example, a lot of people really struggle with it. I feel really comfortable with it, mm -hmm. including my own mortality. I feel ready when it comes. I, I don't feel it would mean the end of me. Um, <laughs> it's very no, funny. Has, has there been spiritual path or journey that, that got you to that place of acceptance? Uh, I was very close to my uncle. Mm -hmm. uh, his name is Anton. Shout out. And he uh, passed away many years ago. Mm -hmm. But that's how powerful his spirit is. I can think of him and still feel emotional. Uh, of course, I miss him, um, but I feel his presence really strong. So I was 18, and uh, he died very suddenly, like in a heart attack. Mm -hmm. And I had seen him just an hour before because I was trying to ask him to convince my dad to say yes to something that my dad was saying no to. Uh, if, you, if you're as much or as little as you want to share, what were you trying to get him to convince classic, your dad? Classic uncle move. Bob. Yeah, yeah he, was, <laughs> he was such... Freaking unbelievable visionary. Um, and I, I really owe him a lot of who I am. It was really funny. So when I was uh, a teenager, I was into theater. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was asked to do a um, commercial for uh, a new local TV station okay. in Bethlehem. And it meant that my 
that, that a poster of me would be all around the country. Mm. And my dad was like, no, daughter of mine is going <laughs> to be in a poster across the country. Like, no. But I was like, yes, no, <laughs> yes. And then so I went to my uncle and I'm like, can you talk to dad tonight? I really want to do this commercial. And so he said, okay, don't worry, don't worry tonight. I'll come over. And then an hour later, <laughs> a professor who's from the U.S. who was visiting and he told me in English, there's a rumor that Dr. Sansur has passed away. <laughs> and I was so shocked. I was like, I don't understand English I don't yeah. understand what you're saying. Mm -hmm. So for the first two to three days, I was in a lot of anger. Like, how can this person just die on me like that? And then suddenly, after three days, I cannot explain it, but there was this calm in me that just I was sure that he was in a very beautiful place and that he was there mm -hmm. forever. Hmm. And uh, years later, I had I was doing a workshop. Um, I think it was Billing, Montana. We were. Uh, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. Have it, you been to Billing, Montana? I have been to Billing. I thought Montana. that sounded like some place you. Not for long. <laughs> but I, drove I know, and we were. In I believe a, it's home of the Mustangs, but I could be wrong on the minor league baseball team. Anyway, I don't know anything about Billing, Montana. I was. Uh, well, we were in this really powerful place uh i was living in la and someone invited us to do uh, a theater workshop in a summer camp hmm. we were working in native american community and one night they made a fire you know how it works in camping mm -hmm. and uh you camped <laughs> yeah i know and then these elders came and they were drumming and uh i closed my eyes and suddenly i was literally somewhere else I can't believe I'm telling this. Mm, I don't tell this story to people and I'm telling it on. There's actually been uh, like proven methods that there's something in drum circles that has the same effect on your brain as psychedelics. Oh, well, I had an experience. It's funny because you, you the started the baths, conversation yeah. by telling us about the sound bath. I mean, I, I had no idea what was happening. All I could tell uh, feel was that i was somewhere else like mm -hmm. i knew i was still with the people mm -hmm. around me but i was somewhere else and i started to see visions mm -hmm. and in one of the visions i actually spoke to my uncle i mean i believe i spoke yeah. to my uncle mm -hmm. uh and he just like and he pushed he me i was trying to get into the coffin with him and he just pushed <laughs> me out and he's like you have work to do. Mm. And he like pushed me out. And at that time, I was in my early 20s. So I must have really not had any, I had no idea what I was doing with my life. <laughs> but uh, what did you think you were going to be doing 15 years later? I had no idea. There wasn't an estimate. No idea. <laughs> I don't think I Which had Which then idea. connects to the idea of get out of the coffin, right? Like, yeah, he like kept go, telling me, go like, live, you got, go get the idea of what you yeah. want to do. <laughs> he kept, no, he kept telling me, you have something to do. Right. Hmm. How did we get to this conversation? But anyway, from there, I, I think I, I, I don't know, I, yeah. I became really clear. There is really no separation between us and other realms. It's, uh, it's, it's our daily life that makes us feel that we're separate. But in fact, hmm. when we sit still, we're we are connected. Hmm. This is this is beautiful. This is in these like this ninety minutes that we've known each other, we've become best friends. I just hope that you like, <laughs> realize and accept that. Uh, but you asked like how we got to this point because I want to talk like specifically about the work, 
but I've been holding on to this trust thing for a while, and I want us to. Let's, let's I want us to, o- to open it up. I trust that we'll get. <laughs> so, so you know where we were, which I think also was important, is kind of like shaping and defining love and how we work with the world, and that got you to like this acceptance of of life and its finality in mm-hmm. this form. And I, I think it was also really important. I, I hear you defining love as like an intentional set of action as opposed to like being reactive or responsive. So that feels like an important like definition. But back to trust, because I've been trying to work on like, how do I define this concept? Because all of the wisdom that I've seen that is working towards creating better life on this planet, uh, that is working towards any notion of justice, they all say that movement organization, community, and relationships are like foundation of being able to do this. And what ties that all together is trust. Trust is like a primary necessity. So I keep asking myself, how do we build trust? Mm -hmm. And then that makes me ask myself, what is trust? And I have some answers that I'll throw out, but I want to hear from from y'all first. We want to hear your answers. I'd like to hear you share yours, yeah. Okay, you're all right. The only, you're the only one with an answer ready to I know, Okay, right? okay. I, I can kick it off. I, I always feel weird being the asker and the answer. That's fine. So tr- trust to me, just like even linguistically, is an expression of truth. Then it is like agreed upon or common truth. But then as, you know, I, the Boggs and so many other people, have, there is no absolute truth in most of our humanity. Uh, and so if truth is then relative, it is about acceptance. To me, trust is common and mutual acceptance. And I think what we need to accept mm-hmm. first is that our vulnerability, right? Like mm-hmm. that there, there is a collective connection to our existence. And I think at the core of it is that, that we are vulnerable and like accepting that and like building strength mm-hmm. from there. And so how do we work to have basically a radical mutual acceptance to me is what trust building mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. I like that because it's not transactional. Right. Because a lot of the time trust is like, if I give you this, you'll give me that. You won't like... It, that's like a fear of betrayal. That's right. not a trust. Or it's usually passive, right? Just like over time, without doing anything, we'll look up and it's have like known getting each other. to know each other better. And four right. years later, now we trust each other. But in there, there are real experiences where we have accepted the same truth. Hmm. Uh, you know what helps me sometimes with trust? What helps you sometimes with trust? Uh, is uh, humility, like mm-hmm. understanding mm-hmm. that, like what makes me so special that I shouldn't be betrayed? <laughs> like what? Like why? Why? Why am I so special? Uh, everybody gets betrayed. Uh, I mean, countries betray. Right. Uh, parents betray. Mm. Children betray. People betray themselves. We the betray time. ourselves all the time. Mostly, mm-hmm. <laughs> first and, and foremost. And so, like, what? What makes me so special? That I have to be betrayal proof. <laughs> like betrayal is part of life. Like, right. You're going to be betrayed. Yeah. This is what I'm working on. Right. Like, oh, I have to accept that I'm not so special, that I will be so smart. No one's going to finesse me. Like, oh, <laughs> no, I, I will be. And I was just yesterday. And I don't know if you guys are now like. Finessing me. I mean, who knows? I don't think so. I don't th- <laughs> not with intention. We, not, we wouldn't know. It ain't an intentional finesse. I don't that much. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but yeah, no. There's the the poten- There's finessing potential at all times. Yeah. 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 Oh wow. That's the world. Oh, now he took it to another level. <laughs> but you're right, though. Yeah. And you can't live in that. Like you can't. Oh, I can't. I won't put it on. Like 
the reaction to that that is the the gut reaction or the initial reaction is then to be very protective and very defensive and like walk around with your fists up all the time or deny it and externalize it right, right. like that that betrayal is going to happen somewhere else right or, but it won't it won't touch me because yeah. i'm secure mm-hmm. enough mm-hmm. um and we know like on the personal on the global on the communal like that just doesn't work you can't you can't protect it that 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 form of like the idea of security damon talks about this a lot that like security isn't protection like Security is trying to create structures so that there is no potential of harm. The absence of risk. But protection means when harm happens, you have structures to try to reduce the the pain of that mm-hmm. and the, the trauma of that and the hurt of that. And that's something that actually is communally and individually in our control is that we can protect each other, but we can't secure you know, and, and that that becomes like a, the logic behind militarism. That becomes the logic. But we behind, can't even protect each other. Not full. Well, protect. You, you can't can protect. stop harm, but you can take protective. So protection is then an action, right? So what I say is like a lock, uh, yeah, yeah, a locked yeah, door. Yeah, yeah. Sure. So a locked door doesn't stop somebody from kicking it in, mm-hmm, breaking it, and something mm-hmm. happening. But that is a layer. Yeah, of Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think, I mean, I, I definitely have a very strong streak yeah. in like, you can maybe betray me or say something about me and I'll probably forget it and forgive it pretty quickly. (laughs) But if you harm or touch or come close to someone I love, Mm. I become quite violent. Actually, I can (laughs) be quite like I was walking once in the street and this guy cat called my sister. I think I became a monster. (laughs) My sister got scared <laughs> and the guy got scared. And I'm like, I'm going to like. Did you get scared? Actually, I told him, I'm going to feed you your balls. <laughs> I mean, that's a good line. That is a good that's line. That's quality. That's writing. like movie. Right that's that's like, a cinematic I, I, line. You're going to eat your balls tonight. <laughs> I, I just got. So, yeah. And my eye. I, I, I mean, wish I could see I was physical. Like, oh I really yeah. became just aggressive. Hmm. Uh, whereas, probably if he was just catcalling me, I may have. Just said something, kept walking. Mm-hmm. But yeah. because he said something to my sister, and mm-hmm. you don't. Yeah. So loyalty for me is like yeah. uh, a very core value in my life. I think. Can I, we? Uh, I want to paint an analog in everything that we've been talking about, which is all these systems and all these lessons we've been talking about in humans in relation to each other. I want to talk about how all these things play out in plants and seeds. Okay. Because I think all of these conversations around protection, interdependence, uh, love, love, sharing, uh, interwoven root systems, all that. It all, it all works on a seed level. There've been so many things that you've said, I've come to realize, or I've, I've come to this place where I understand this. or I've had to learn this and some of it comes from other people, but what's something that you've learned from seeds? I think all these things you mentioned, you learn not from seed, but from soil, actually. Mm. Mm -hmm. Because you can put a wonderful seed in dead soil and it's not going to give you anything. Yeah. So we are soil. Mm. And um, (laughs) the complexity of soil, the diversity in soil, it's a whole culture. Soil is the world. So what I've learned, if we're talking about plants and how we interact with them, is that I have to prepare my soil to Hmm. receive the right seeds, right? And that's what our ancestors have done. If I think about like the the different uh, plant varieties, the seed varieties that uh, we work with, uh, for example, one of the most cherished 
seeds we have is um, a collection of seeds that our ancestors developed with our soil, with our microclimate, that live with no irrigation. So mm-hmm. they really respect the fact that uh, we don't have rain in the summer, mm-hmm. for right. example, mm-hmm. and we have to kind of work with that. So they developed seed varieties uh, that actually adapt and live with our soil. And right. we put them in the deep soil where in the early spring where the where the water has stayed you know mm, the moisture so it has get dried all the way down like the top well we we put the seed basically where the moisture has been retained in the <laughs> soil throughout the rainy season and then they live off of dew and uh, the that moisture that's wow. deep in the soil mm. and so you have to develop the seeds that co-evolves also with yeah. this soil and i think um mm. for us as humans and as souls and soils, I guess in my work, I had to learn that my work is not going to be effective if I don't really prepare my soil. Hmm. You know, we have to work on our soil and we have to work on ourselves in order to be able to figure out what is the life we want? What is the structure we want? What is the everyday yeah. that we want? What are we trying to grow? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that this is the the main question that applies literally to the soil that you work with. Hmm. Uh, do you want to live with contaminated soil that you don't want your kids to play in, where you can't see any life in it, where it, it is dependent always on uh, synthetic things to make it, live or actually doesn't live actually this is the thing about like the difference between agroecology for example mm-hmm. and agribusiness mm-hmm. agribusiness has no regard to soil for life right, right they think soil is not important actually soil is just something to hold the plant right. oh you don't have this type of soil no problem we'll bring you all the components you need all the right. inputs you need yeah. to make it have oh it, it, you want to grow bananas in a place that does not accommodate yeah. bananas oh we'll make it happen yeah. because right. the idea is we will bring these things. It's, and, they're, they're commodities and assets as opposed to organisms within an right. ecology. Right. But the soil is not important. Whereas like in agroecology, this is our main focus. Hmm. We need to build our soil. We need to appreciate it. And that's where everything comes from. And when you have healthy soil, everything else kind of works itself out. Hmm. That was beautiful. I, I, I want to I know more about this work that is kind of like the final answer of to like the importance of it all uh but i also feel like we got the beginning of this spiritual moment in this interaction with your uncle that like pushed you towards this work and so i'm curious where in the path did you have like more social political like provocations that got you into being able to so eloquently teach that concept i don't teach nothing you just you just 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 clarify you just did come on you just did well, I, I've been learning. Someone, I just someone. be we who learned. I am. <laughs> okay. All right. So, w- w- what were some of the moments that got you physically in the world, being mm. who you is like this? Mm. I know that's a huge. That's a big question. one. You want to break let's, it down? Yeah. For let's me? get like a little more specific in that. So, between that conversation of you have you have work to do, mm. what got your hands in the soil? What got you parsing these things and figuring out how they live together and then connecting that to kind of mm-hmm. the, the the political implications. I don't know where to start, actually. That's not, yeah, that's so you, <laughs> uh, well, because it's a lot of things. 
I think my mother, I underestimate. Shout uh, out to moms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mom, my God, she is a powerhouse. But she doesn't even know who she, like, how amazing mm. and powerful she has been in my life. It's funny because actually when my mom was pregnant with me, apparently they told her that the baby was dead. Mm. And they gave her medication to abort. Mm. But she refused. She's like, if the baby is dead, it will come out on its own. So from maybe that moment, my mm. mom uh, wow. really taught me one lesson to, to, to be a little more tenacious. And she yeah. always... <laughs> says to me you just keep pressing on the gas you know don't stop so when we were kids she was really beyond her times in fact in the 80s when i was growing up it was actually all the hype about the packaged food you know that's yeah. when like sliced bread and all that stuff was being like introduced right but she actually was uh the opposite when we were growing up like we had to drink uh, a small cup of grape molasses in the winter in the morning, which I hate with passion. <laughs> grape molasses doesn't taste good? That's it does, it good. does. No, but you got to like, put it in something. Not no, like, no. I mean, no. she, you know, she was all into herbal yeah. medicine mm, and okay. she still is. And uh, and where was this? Where were you living at that point? In Palestine. In so Palestine. I grew up in a small town called Bejala. Uh, in the Bethlehem district, but today it's it's not a very small. I mean, it's still small. It's just full of concrete. But when I was mm. growing up, they were all terraces, right. beautiful terraces, and our house continues to be one of those beautiful terraces. It's one of the last remaining terraces in the town. For those who don't know that kind of ecological formation, what is that? When you say terrace, what does that mean? For oh, terracing is a beautiful. Yeah. It's a beautiful art of basically protecting the soil by preparing the land through, I guess they're like dry walls mm -hmm. that are made from stones that are already in in the hills. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a technique that people who live in hilly and mountainous areas use to uh, protect the soil mm. and to cultivate and yeah. uh, reclaim the land. And you see it all over the world. From yeah, Greece, uh, Italy, Peru, all the, the, yeah, the, everywhere. Yeah, yeah, anywhere yeah. that there's mountains, yeah. people yeah, figured out yeah. how to grow on <laughs> we it. We figured yeah. out how mm. to grow. Also, yeah, and uh, it's really quite an art, you know, to to terrace because mm -hmm. you it's like a puzzle you make yeah. and then you need to hold the soil and make sure it doesn't protect it yeah. Yeah. yeah so imagine as a kid though these terraces it's stones and they have holes in them we climb those terraces <laughs> and you're like a monkey really just climbing <laughs> everywhere and trying to get to everywhere although we we grew up under military occupation we continue to live under military occupation uh, socially in the community we grew up in a really safe environment mm -hmm. uh, because you didn't just uh, feel afraid of your mom you're afraid of your grandmother who lives <laughs> next door your aunties uh, and your friends mothers <laughs> and so when I would come back from school you know we would have lunch and then we're off in the hills, right? Mm -hmm. And the only thing that uh, we were required to do is by sunset, I had to be in the house. The soil was my toy, or mm -hmm. we would call like my like soil was 
literally like something my cousin and I would just try to make uh, clay pots and stuff like that. Of course, we never were able to do anything nice. But uh, <laughs> I mean, but that was like we learned through touching yeah. things, experimenting. You know, now there's all this like Montessori education, which yeah. is awesome that, because they recognize the a child it, needs yeah. to touch, to feel, to. Uh, and we didn't need no fancy Montessori education. <laughs> we just had the hills. Yeah. And so I learned about almonds. I learned about when, what to eat in what season. We have all these like wild plants that we forage and we, we learn through actually tasting them even mm -hmm. as children. Yeah. I was born into the soil, so I don't know that there was a, a specific mm -hmm. moment. Yeah, mm -hmm. There was a specific moment when, when I severed myself from it <laughs> the way we all learned that we need to be urban, to be right. mm -hmm. respectable, we need to be something else. Right. And so I was severed from my village life, if you will, by wanting so much to be a city girl. Yeah. And then I went for years and lived in the cities. And But I think that at some point uh, when I was doing my master's, I went back home to do my research And I saw that everything that I loved, that I missed, like the smell of the soil when it rains, the the almond trees, yeah. the, they're all disappearing. And uh, I couldn't live with that. Mm. I felt like <laughs> something had to be done. And so I think that was a, a major moment uh, when I felt I really have to to do something because all the things that I loved were disappearing and I just wasn't going to have that. <laughs> so you find the peace that you can hold close and, and try to hold on to in, in some way with it. In hearing that that was the, the entry point of like, I, I'm seeing these things disappear and be destroyed. A seed has this amazing potential energy, right? If, the, if you take care of the soil to grow this thing. Is that how you think of the library as this potential energy to have this impact to grow this larger thing? Or is it a preservation model? Like, how do mm. you put that work in the greater mm. context? Is the library seed or soil? It's both mm. and all. Um, for me, a seed conservation is something that operates as a vessel to have a wider conversation about mm. cultural conservation yeah. and about who we are. In the end, we are seeds. So when we're talking about the extinction of a variety, it's not that I feel like, oh, I, I'm just going to miss the taste of this right. cucumber, for example. It's literally my own survival. So the survival mm. of the seed determines my own survival as a person, as a community, as a way of life. Yeah. So for me, the library is a platform to tell the story and open a bigger conversation that we can have together and also internally with ourselves. So what does it mean when I lose a part of who I am? <laughs> what does it mean when I choose something that is not good for me? Right. Uh, what does it mean when? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. What does it mean when I give up who I am, basically? Mm. And I think these are all questions that a zucchini or a tomato <laughs> yeah. can.
can present, believe it or not. So I felt like this question came in my face uh, when I was dealing with this uh, watermelon story that everybody was telling me about. Ask anybody, like a, an 85-year-old woman would be like, yeah, I gave birth in the Jadui watermelon field. I'm like, well, where is this Jadui? So, and then they say it doesn't exist anymore. So when someone says that something they love so much, they have such strong memory and bond with, doesn't exist anymore, and they surrender to this fact, like, it's fine, and it's not fine. For me, it's right. just not fine. And I think the the fact that I wasn't fine with it really maybe is what sprouted this whole journey. But yeah, yeah the seed library for me isn't just about seed conservation, literally, although obviously this is a part of it. But it's a way to tell a story, and it's a way to ask questions, and it's a way to connect to a deeper part of who we are. I think for me personally, it was a journey of also asking myself, very difficult questions about my own self-hatred and my mm. own uh, upbringing mm. and, and yeah, where I come from and kind of the imperfections and perfections of it. And then to learn how both can exist all at the same time. I had a beautiful childhood and I had a shitty childhood mm. yeah. and both statements are true. <laughs> and the question then becomes, well, from knowing that this is not unique to me, we all had a great childhood and a shitty childhood. We all had a great life and not so great life, right? Then moving forward through deciding what we eat and how we eat and how we produce our food and how we interact together as a community, we can ask even a more important and urgent question, yeah. who do we want to be, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and so I'm interested more in creating who I want to be, who we want to be, more than I am interested in kind of fighting or resisting right. what we don't want to be. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know all the things I don't want to be. Okay, great. <laughs> That's an easier question. Yeah, to right. For sure. Uh, and actually, my brother he 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 always used to make fun of me because when we go out to eat at a restaurant when we were kids, mm -hmm. I'd always say. I want this, but I don't want that. And I don't want that. And, <laughs> and he would always laugh. And he's like, well, but what do you want? And it was a stupid little yeah. uh, joke. But actually, from that place, I now always have to ask, okay, never say what I don't want as much as what I want. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. But we don't learn that, right? Mm -hmm. We don't learn right. that as um, people, especially as people of color here or as people who grew up under oppression or right. as people or as women, definitely we right. yeah, pff, definitely nothing in my uh, upbringing really asked me, you know, hmm. what do you want? Hmm. Like when hmm. it's like, no, nobody ever asked me, what do I want? And so I've always learned to take orders. Right. Even though I come across as really kind of strong-headed, blah, 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 I learned at some point that I'm really good at taking orders and and I'm also huh. really not good at taking orders. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And the more I become who I am, the more I'm like, I'm really terrible at taking orders. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, I think the Seed Library is really a very personal journey. So that's why sometimes it's really crazy for me that like other people became interested and were engaging yeah. in it. And now all of a sudden I have a big project and 
but it's beautiful because I think by me sort of being more open, especially like with farmers I work with, I'm really open about what this is for me and how it feels. And, and it allows them to also be open and talk about their experience. And I think what we're building isn't an institution. It's not... Uh, it's not a seed bank. It's not. Right. It's none of that. It's really just a community of people who want to be in communion together and who want to connect to who they are and who have fallen in love with things from their childhood yeah. and uh, people who miss the cooking of their grandparents, people who still love to sit for 15 minutes watching a cicada try to <laughs> I, I mean it's just like you know simple things and so this big project that gets a lot of attention is really very simple project yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just we're a bunch of people who yeah. want to feel alive again I love the romance of it yeah. and I mean that not in a, in a disparaging way from one romantic to another like I love the romance of how do you make a space where people can feel alive again yeah what do you think so many other people are projecting onto it that is making it like, why is it more complex in other people's minds externally when they're seeing it? What, what, what is the image of what this is quote supposed to be that they're projecting onto it? Um, well, as we started this conversation, uh, it's the rational mind, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. People are very focused on how something's going to happen more than what it's going to happen. Uh, and so I think that uh, the fact that I'm really not interested in the how yeah. of things baffles people sometimes. Like, well, what do you mean? You want to have this cucumber become part of I, I'm not... I, I'm not yeah. into, like, how we're going to do it. I'm just once I decide this is what's going to happen everything conspires and it happens. So I don't have to do any work really in terms of, I, I do the organizing work, but it's driven. It's something I can't explain. And mm -hmm. only this is the first time I'm publicly saying this <laughs> and sharing this. I can't explain. It's not something I yeah. do with a plan. I'm not a, right. a planner. I don't really have a structure. <laughs> I, it just, can I have five you? Just yeah, you can have five. <laughs> <laughs> it just happens. I have it's a, a plan, but it's not a. Uh, we need I a mean, new I, word. I am practical, yeah, believe it a, or not. I get in it. Some no, sense, I have five you for a reason. <laughs> it's, a, it's like um, there's vision, but not a like step by step. Like there is design yeah, involved. There is design. But. There's definitely design involved. Uh, a lot of design involved, and there is definitely. Uh, intricate work that of has course, to yeah. happen. It's just, it's not the focus. Right. And when it's not the focus, the vision continues to carry forward. Mm -hmm. right. I think the fear is always, and I'm very, very attentive to this. It's part of why like, I don't want to be an institution. I don't want the work to be about, oh, okay, we have a seed bank. Well, there are people who have seed bank. And that's great work and important work right. that we all benefit from. But that's not the purpose of my seed work. I'm not interested in preserving uh, seeds in a vault for a doomsday. I'm not interested in uh, kind of just archiving something. Right. I'm really interested in a living culture. Yeah. And I'm also 
very interested in how we create this living culture. This is why when you said in the beginning a folk story that's only 100 years old, I'm okay with that in the sense mm. that what I really think I'm doing in my work is taking old stories and giving them a contemporary twist so that they become relevant and alive to us today. Mm. And also giving the new generation the permission to imagine that they may want to give it another story. Right. Uh, and maybe they want to give it another mm -hmm. flavor and they have the right. It's going to be their life, not mm -hmm. our lives. But we have the responsibility every time to to create the right soil yeah. for people to bounce from, right? Mm -hmm. To grow from. And this is our responsibility every time and everywhere and every mm -hmm. day on this planet because wherever you are, whether you're in Palestine, Chicago, whether it's the prairies or the valleys or yeah. whatever, yeah. we have to create that beautiful little opening so that mm -hmm. the future generations, when they come, they have something to work with because there's a lot of crap around. And so if we can just at least <laughs> offer a little slice of something that maybe someone else will yeah. come and expand, then Here's we've something done to our grow job. From. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think that's really the best we can do right now. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's so powerful because the, the work really is liberatory and like the most life-based, resilient, creative fashion. I think that is like the most important or valuable type of work that we can do. But I do want to be place-based in how you said, whether it's the Prairie or Chicago or Palestine, in response to the problem, right? Because the problem is human. The problem is is something that is being done by people, mm -hmm. from most of my yeah. understanding. And so as someone who is not as knowledgeable as I want to be about like ecology, to me, the problem is just global of like, oh, there is global corporations and multinational entities that are basically destroying Earth everywhere wow. um, you seem very educated <laughs> <laughs> but my, my question is are, are there particularities to the problem in palestine as it is a space on the planet that is so particular in terms of how oh absolutely yeah. and every place the mm -hmm. south side here right, in right, chicago right, has right. its particularities right, right. right i i wasn't weird it's been really lucky here. I met uh, the guys from Sweetwater oh, Foundation. Oh, uh, do Yeah, dope, dope. and we've been working with them. They're very awesome. Oh, that's awesome, great. Awesome. That's folks. great to know. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because we were we were there yesterday, and we're like, wow, we have so many similarities. Sure, like in Palestine, I mean, in terms of our the elements we deal with are it's literally military. Mm -hmm. We have people with machine guns and. Uh, airplanes that actually point it at us <laughs> and we are inside a ghetto that is surrounded by a concrete wall we cannot drive or walk on certain roads we live under a system of pure segregation mm -hmm. um, who we are is basically undesired and every day the message is your presence is not wanted in your mm. own home. Mm. And our daily struggle is how do we continue to love and see beauty and to, to be there uh, <laughs> while everything around us is telling us you need to die, mm. literally. Mm -hmm. uh, our trees are often literally right, torched torn, yeah. and... Uh, mm -hmm. 
you know, sometimes these uh, settlers come and just like light a whole field of olive trees on fire. Mm -hmm. Olive trees are thousands of years old. Mm. Um, our children are incarcerated and tortured. Mm. Uh, people's homes are invaded every night. So you are living in constant instability, constant not knowing when the next shoe's going to drop. And um, you really have to learn to have the thick skin of living with this constant duality mm -hmm, right. of life and death, life mm -hmm. and death. <laughs> and in some ways, you know, a lot of people come to Palestine and they say, oh, we're coming here in solidarity. And mm. they often go home feeling like, wow, this place healed me. This place mm -hmm. that is so full of <laughs> I thought I was war. coming to help. I was coming yeah. to be helpful. Quote, yeah, quote, and right. so when people come like, mm. I'm, I'm here to help, I'm like, man, yeah. don't say that. Yeah. Really humble yourself. You learn that in this place where you think that only violence exists, you're going to find so much love, injections mm. of love, mm -hmm. that you're going to feel alive again. Mm. Which makes sense because, right, in the midst of when you're like facing your death, it's when you realize right. you're alive. Mm. Oh, I'm alive. Mm -hmm. And so our farmers... Uh, live with that like there's the challenge of agribusiness and uh, the push for chemical agriculture yeah. hybrid seeds um, also a consumer desire for perfectly shaped vegetables right. mm -hmm. uh, that taste like nothing <laughs> uh, and a disrespect to rural life, mm. uh, a marginalization of farmers that they are, don't know enough because they don't work in banks and they don't wear suits. Mm. So their knowledge is also being marginalized by what's so-called science, uh, as if what they do is not science. <laughs> the fact that they gave us these like genius seeds mm. that yeah, grow that with no irrigation no isn't science. <laughs> it didn't happen in a lab yeah. in Iowa that happened exactly. in the fields over years with people doing that yeah, work. Yeah, yeah. And also the knowledge of farmers who were in Iowa not working right. in labs but actually working in the fields. That's yeah. also marginalized. Absolutely. So there is the, this combo, this terrible combo, right? And it's in that context that we're trying to say, no, there is still value to our heirloom seeds. There's still value to the indigenous knowledge. And so you are working against a lot of lies that, mm -hmm. no, it's not valuable. And to be sophisticated and of value, mm -hmm. you have to eat fast food that's coming from the United States or wherever. And that's why I say the work really, all of this gets resolved by realizing that you have value. Mm -hmm. and once you understand that who you are has value, when you learn that your ancestors developed wheat, <laughs> you know, the whole world eats cake mm -hmm. and cookie mm -hmm. and biscuit and pasta because your great, 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 great grandparents, they had the vision to see a wild grass and keep selecting mm -hmm. and planting until you have 
the wheat you have today and then give it as a gift to the whole world. Yeah. Yeah. That makes me think of how we overemphasize sliced bread. You referenced that before as like the, the expression. Is like, it's like, no, it's the greatest thing it's since bread. bread. Yeah, bread, <laughs> yeah. bread it was way more important than the slicing of it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> We're yeah. taking the bread for granted. Yeah, Fuck yeah. the slice. Yeah. <laughs> you can tear a bread. It's yeah. not that important. It's yeah. better, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't use this term anymore because oh, like sliced bread, that's crap. Yeah, yeah that's uh, hilarious. <laughs> but, you know, what? imagine when you talk to a kid who's 14 and yeah. all she's learned is that we are good for nothing. Look at our oppressors. Look at the Israelis. You know, they build these settlements. These are so beautiful, big, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I'm like, those settlements are built on our food, first of all. Right. Second of all, they're sto- on stolen land and they are unsustainable. They are, you know, the list goes on and right. on. But when this same kid learns that it's because of their ancestors that the whole world is enjoying a birthday cake or (laughs) a a donut or whatever, uh, then they really sit even differently. They sit up straight. They feel proud of who they are. And then that wheat starts to have value. Mm -hmm. They start to feel like, oh, well, maybe I need to preserve this i'm gonna pray over my next donut yeah (laughs) (laughs) actually i have to admit donuts although they're really Uh, bad they're my weakness oh i'm a sucker for a pastry how are you gonna not eat a donut donut. but now at least i have some like uh some cultural reverence (laughs) to go with (laughs) i don't know i mean i did not mean to promote donuts on this show okay (laughs) (laughs) what i was trying to promote here guys yeah no we got you When you realize that you are not as shit as you were brought up to believe Mm -hmm. and that actually you have value and you come from value, everything you do, every other decision changes. And becomes more beautiful. Yeah. And you value those choices because you value yourself and you value what you've created. Yeah. And what you've been given, the gift you've been given. And I think that's why you asked me, what is the seed library for me? And I think that... All these problems can be resolved by the simple yet hard work of showing ourselves and learning that who we are is valuable. Yeah, yeah. I have one ending place that I think is good. And it it is something that we teased, this idea of home and and homemaking and the fact that you have been able to make home. (laughs) I don't like this guy. (laughs) The Uh, fact that you've been able to make home. And, and all of this beautiful life-giving work in Palestine, but you also named this land, United States, as home, and that there was something to that. I want to hear a little bit about your perspective in that homemaking, uh, but my curiosity out of it is I feel that there are ways that we in the United States are ignorant to the importance of land and seed and growth and ecology, particularly us in the political space. I think like American radical progressive politics are very like caught up in law and like symbolic acts. Mm-hmm. And my understanding is globally and historically, the, the the fight or the work is always much more connected to the land in a way that us in the U.S. don't do and how we make home here. Uh, so in your personal or that big that that's kind of the place hmm. where I want to end. Well, have so. you have you asked the Native American right. about land? Because they know all about land. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I I I have and I've, I've heard and yes, I, and, I am in agreement. And should be not just ask more, but like that 
that framework of Centered, continuity. You know? yeah. yeah. We know that the U.S. is a settler mm -hmm. uh, country, right? Mm -hmm. So me saying I feel at home here, I struggle mm -hmm. with that because I'm, I feel like I'm part of a settler, whatever, yeah. history yeah, or whatever. But I, I also recognize that I wouldn't be an immigrant if my home <laughs> was not destroyed by the very settler uh, government that I'm now a part of, right? Mm -hmm. So it's complex. Right. Just like me, your ancestor, you didn't choose to immigrate. Right. You did right. not immigrate. Right. You came by force. Mm -hmm. And so that is not, right. like, what do you do with all of that? Right. Your ancestors? We don't know. Um, <laughs> by force. At, at least, uh, you know, Holocaust survivors and all, you know. Yeah, you came by force too then. And a couple came by choice. Yeah. We'll put it that it's, No, but I'm just... The Norwegians I, came by choice. Uh, <laughs> but we don't talk to that side. <laughs> no, I'm not trying to Different create... Right I'm saying is that it's yeah. really complex right. because... Yeah, it's not singular. We are all yeah. here and we say we're in the U.S. and we all have this, like, we share this history, but we also have our particular histories right. and in the end I just want when I ask this question to really honor the people who were here Absolutely. and who who really know this land and are from this land mm -hmm. and that's not me yeah. I just appreciate that I feel welcomed here at <laughs> least I hope you know in, in that sense but the question of home is is, is complicated because uh, I, you know I'm a traveler I don't know how to sit still I'm always curious to go new places. Um, so there's that part of me that is always on the move. And of course, that happened to be also something that came out easily from being also someone from a place that was and continues to be unstable, unpredictable, and right. kind of hard to be in sometimes. So mm -hmm. I often question, like, who would I have been had I been born somewhere stable, like, I don't know, France or Italy or whatever, would I Air still... Quote, stable. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, would I still be this world traveler? Would I still have this thirst to learn about new ways of life? Mm -hmm. I don't know. But I also know that traveling gives you so much because you live with other people, you become more aware of who you are. Yeah. But with time, you know, you, who you are also changes because now I carry so many continents and so many people mm. and so many cultures within my own body. I can't tell you that I am from anywhere right yeah. now. Uh, so for me, I've learned to make home who I am, where I am. You can throw me anywhere and I'll probably feel at home eventually. Mm. And I quickly start to create community and mm. I just, I just thrive. Mm -hmm. But that's become kind of a survival thing that right. has mm -hmm. become very easy for mm -hmm. me to do. Um, but I'm always questioning, you know, the the things that I lose by being so mobile. Right. If we have time, I can share a very short story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We have the time. We got, uh, we're we're on your time. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, because uh, there's so much that you learn when you travel and there's also so much that you don't and mm. so much that you lose. So I sometimes feel really jealous of trees <laughs> because they really are so daring. They Ooh. just like decide, I'm going to set root here. I'm going to stay here forever. Yeah. Ooh. And I'm like, really? 
Yeah. You're not terrified? <laughs> yeah. So as much as I love trees, I can never be one. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm always this leaf that kind of falls and flies and <laughs> or maybe even the bee. I was bee. thinking a bird. Yeah. yeah. You're the owl. Wow. I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of wisdom there, but <laughs> I don't know if I'm there yet. No, the owl doesn't fly high enough. Okay. Mm. Okay. Uh, okay. But I'll be the owl. I mean, that's pretty amazing. I mean, I would be honored to be an owl. I'm not saying, but I feel like. You know how to apply for an available position. (laughs) (laughs) You take what you can get. There was an opening online. You need my reference? (laughs) In his varied experience, Daniel has really shown the qualities necessary to be a strong owl. Anyway, I mean, sorry, no, we're corny. No, it's fine. <laughs> I forgot what I was talking about. Oh, yeah. Oh, flying. No. So, yeah. So, I think I can bring a lot of gifts because I fly a lot. But mm. I think I also miss out on a lot of things, including yeah. uh, just simple daily things. So, one time I went to the U.S. for two months and I came back and uh, my friends had put in a new bathroom. Mm. Really something very, very simple. But they were really excited to talk about uh, the the tiles and how they picked the tile and where they got it from. People who put in new bathrooms love to talk about a new bathroom. <laughs> well, but for me, I was so sad. I felt like, and they were joking about it. And they're also, for them, it was a big deal because they wanted a new bathroom for a long time, yeah, but they yeah. couldn't afford it. So yeah. they were like saving up right. for it. And I felt like I missed out a big part of uh, Mm -hmm. their life and something I could have been also laughing about, you know, just the the mere fact that by staying somewhere, you watch the growth and progression of it. Yeah. And so I felt like, oh, I miss out on seeing something grow. And there's something really special about that. And I guess that's why people love having kids and watching them grow, right? Uh, but I've learned to accept that I'm probably not someone who will see things grow in every stage. Like I'm more of a pollinator who just mm. goes and drops a seed, and someone else kind of and there's takes a, care you know what we call that we call that a pop in. You just pop in. I'm a pop in. I think I'm more comfortable with pollinator. I I I guess. There's a lot of judgment around that oh, okay. uh, when people say that I, you know, pop in. Uh, like helicopter. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. 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 And yeah no I'm not, ex- I, I don't want to, I don't see myself as exactly that. I'm not that mm-hmm. shallow in my intervention. <laughs> we we so meant it as a term. No, of a a, it's a good <laughs> no, no, no. I, I struggle when I say that because I'm starting to learn more and more that it's true. Yeah. That I, I do. I come in, I start something. You know, I see them to fruition, but I'm very happy to just pass it all. Like, just yeah. you do it. You know, it's now your, I don't need to yeah. see it to own it and make it then something forever. Like, I, it doesn't need to be part of me. It will yeah. be, but not necessarily that I have to yeah. have it forever. And uh, so in that way, I didn't answer really your question. You absolutely did. But like home for me has become something very fluid. <laughs> But yet, very, very solid in mm-hmm. inside. Yeah, mm-hmm. we can't and, all be trees. Yeah, but yeah. it's also a sore, a sore space. Mm-hmm. I do often um, wish I had a place to land. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I have some dessert before checkout. Okay. So in our entree, 
in <laughs> <laughs> in the question of how the world treating you and how you treating the world you said the world's treating you beautifully more or less and you feel that you don't give the world what it deserves and then like midway through you said something of like i am loving the world and i think you've described very beautifully the love and the work that you give to the world so if that is not what the world deserves what does the world deserve i don't like this guy <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know that sometimes people say that they grow on you. Yeah, decomposes on you. He's a fun guy. <laughs> important, important. Uh, You're now a living. co-host of the show. Yeah. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> you just hopped right in there. <laughs> Oh. Yeah. So, 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 what does the world deserve? Because it sounds like you're giving it a lot of what it, it deserves. So, so, what what's the message? I yeah. think the world deserves more openness. <laughs> And more surrender and a lot more trust. Mm -hmm. My prayer every day is that I want to just offer myself completely because I'm still obviously human. I sometimes feel like I don't. So <laughs> it's like we have this uh, romantic. Uh, Arabic way of expressing love, which is a little messed up, but <laughs> but you can tell someone you love, I will lay my body to be a bridge for you. Mm -hmm. And I think that I still have pride and I still have attachment to my person that I don't always mm. lay myself to be a bridge. Yeah. But imagine if we all just laid our bodies to be a bridge how beautiful it would be <laughs> I mean I don't know maybe someone would think that that's not a nice image but if we all are willing right. to just throw our body and not be attached right. to them then I think we would probably create things that are less fearful and more daring yeah and there's still pride to take in being a good bridge for someone like the power dynamic is so different being a solid bridge for someone it requires a certain kind of strength and it's a, it's a beautiful thing to be yeah, yeah. And I think a part of me, though, is also very bored. <laughs> like, I'm really That's bored weird. with um, social arrangements. They're so boring to me. <laughs> I, I feel so uninspired by kind of certain daily interactions you have to do. Like, yeah. it's like, really, I'm bored of balance also people are so obsessed with balance and, and i'm just bored i just i don't want to live a balanced mediocre life like can i you're trying to fly yeah and so i guess uh, <laughs> uh this is maybe not fair to say because the way i am able to fly is because there are lots of people who hold the fort down for me mm. so. well it's good to, as long as you know that <laughs> i think that's the that's the key. Well, I mean, I think there's value to that aerial view, right? right. Like That's do. what I was thinking earlier is when you were saying, like, the beauty of seeing the, the process of the bathroom being mm -hmm. built. Is then I also think about you saying that it was when you came back home and saw what had been there that wasn't there that then this work was birthed out of. Like, if you had been there every day, I don't know if you would have been, been able to see that the same way, mm -hmm. you know? So you need both. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, you know, if you were designing a neighborhood or a community, you would need, like, an aerial plan. 
And so you going above Mm -hmm. and seeing difference and being in various environments, both is needed. Yeah, I mean, for sure, because I I appreciate the details more on the ground. Like, I love detail. As much as I like big picture, I'm really into detail. I love details. Mm -hmm. I mean, seeds are a pretty detailed thing. (laughs) (laughs) So let's let's, let's check out out a thought, an idea that came up through the conversation that's sticking with you or just how you feel right now. I'm sorry not to like you either. (laughs) (laughs) If our guest hates us by the time we leave, we've done our job. Oh, wow. Uh, But you don't have to go first. Yeah, I was just going to say, why don't you go first? Um, The restrictions that like reason and like rational determining creates and that being rooted in power over somebody or arrogance is something that I've been thinking a lot about even coming into this conversation, but you articulated it in a way that crystallize that for me um so thank you for articulating it that way and i loved the when i asked about the seeds that you said let's talk about the soil and that being at the root because yeah we get so stuck in the particular and in like what are the you know characteristics of this person or this and this show is all about like the individuals who are doing this work and the idea is that if you talk to all of them then you get to see the whole ecosystem but thinking about what is the soil that's in is really important. So those two things are really sticking out of my mind. Yeah, I have an extended checkout. <laughs> I first just want to like articulate gratitude. Yeah. This this interaction and conversation is probably one of the most full and filling ones that I've experienced. Uh, so with that, my checkout in an attempt to simplify would be uh, love the land, love-based land and land-based love. Uh, I'm really proud of how we like went through these like big super themes of love, trust and home and like kind of really parsing those out and what that means. I'm thinking of my working definition of love, which we kind of like poked at. Um, and I some of it's come from like reading some bell hooks thought for me, love is the interaction of four components, acknowledgement, appreciation, nurturing and protection. And like all of those things need to be happening together. And when they do, they equate something greater than the sum of their parts. And so doing that to the land. With the land. Yeah, with the land and the land doing that with and to you is what life is about, is what liberation is. And so, you know, grounding it in something real as opposed to an idea, but food and shelter is the, are the realest things for, for, for human beings, at least. Uh, and so just furthering that understanding, furthering that work within my own thinking of how do we love the land and how do we uh, allow the land to love us properly is is where, where I'm leaving with a spirit of gratitude for you mm-hmm. for helping us facilitate getting to those ideas. Yeah. How about you? Well, I'm also filled with gratitude and inspiration, actually, mm-hmm. uh, by the two of you mm-hmm. uh, in the sense that you're really exemplifying uh, new models of being a man. Mm-hmm. You know, we sat here talking about really a lot a lot of noise but uh, what we really <laughs> but what we're really talking about is a lot of pain that the three of us and our extended communities and live through like we bring so much pain yeah. and we try to find the gift and the pain in this conversation. And I think mm. it takes a lot of courage. I think especially for young men and men in general to also choose a new way. And I think for us women, of course, we are in, in constant struggle. And I think 
a lot of times our struggle as women is is presented in a very unilateral way mm. as if like if we liberate ourselves everything else is going to fall into place but i think what's missing in our a women's movement is often we create a new woman but we forget to create a new man mm. and so i feel really happy and hopeful and grateful that i'm sitting with two young men who are really uh questioning and asking and opening themselves and being men in the conversation and owning that while also having these conversations about pain wow. and beauty and so i really appreciate that <laughs> yeah. we well, now we're crying oh shit thank you thank you wow thank you so much so one thank you for for bringing you today and being in this with us i also want to thank my partner rosie who is the reason that i found out about your work she's a farmer and runs the second biggest farmers market in the city here and you guys have gone back on ig and she was like She's going to be here. You have to get her on the show. So, Rosie, thank you for making that happen. Oh, thank you, Rosie. I think I, I, is Rosie sensitive, sensitive plant? plant? Yeah, absolutely. Ah, uh, she's awesome. She's and I, and I, I don't know how we got, well, Instagram. You know, I resisted Instagram for a while. And look, mm-hmm. look, at, look at Instagram. Look what's happened. Yeah, if yeah. If it wasn't for Instagram, you wouldn't have well, spent Well, I'm hours arts and seeds, arts underscore and underscore seeds. Any other ways that you would like to be found in the world? Well, uh, I'm imagining this uh, podcast is going to be aired somewhere where people in Chicago mm-hmm. can hear. And yeah. first, I want to give a shout out to Chicago. It's hey. an awesome city. Hey. And I feel like it's been hidden away from me. Like, why did no one tell me about <laughs> Chicago before? <laughs> this city you is listening to the awesome. <laughs> it's awesome city, beautiful people. And first, a shout out to the prairies. Oh, yeah. uh, and I hope people will find more ways to love and connect to them and, and protect them. But, okay, I want to say that if people want to learn more about my work and the work of the Seed Library, uh, please do come check out the Chicago Architecture Biennial, which is going to be opening on uh, September 19th to mm. the public. It's at the Chicago Cultural Center, and there will be 70 different artists showing mm. their work from around the world. It's the biggest architecture and design exhibition in North America, wow. and it's right here in your city. Cool. And I'm really honored to have been invited to share my uh, work. And it will be my exhibitions called uh, Merj and Prairie. Merj in Arabic means valley and hmm. prairie. It's for free. Anyone can come uh, until I think January 5th. Oh, I'm excited to see it. Yeah. Thank you so much for being in conversation with us. Thank you. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, you for, for having me. We'll be back next week with another person reshaping the culture of our city and world for the more equitable and creative. Much love to the people. Peace. This episode of Ergo is brought to you by Cards Against Humanity. They asked us not to read an ad, so we didn't.